0: This is Attica Locke, and you're listening to Writer Types.
1: Hello there. I am your host, Eric Bietner, and this is a special episode of Writer Types, the indie author spotlight. You know, I get pitches all the time from big publishers, and of course, we want the best sellers on the show. But as someone who has published on small presses for all of my 27 books, I don't want to ignore the authors who don't have a, you know, huge publicity department other than their own hard work, because I know how hard it is. So from small press authors to self-published, we're going to meet some authors and learn about their work, and also get some insight into the pluses and minuses of indie publishing. I'm going to start right off with Mike McCrary. Mike is the author of a dozen novels, including the Remo Cobb series, the Marcus Murphy books, and standalones like Genuinely Dangerous and Relentless. I've known Mike for a long time now, and he's moved from the small press to self-publishing, so I know he was someone I wanted to talk to right away for this show. Mike, we've known each other for a long time, so uh, good to see you. Welcome. And first off, I know you're down in Austin, Texas, so I got to start by asking, how how are things? Your politicians seem to be trying to kill you almost harder than the, the ice and cold.
2: Yeah, I know. Everything's fine. I don't know what you've heard. It's all the liberal media trying to uh, d- sway <laughs> you. Everything's fine. No, I mean, it was, uh, you know, the, the winter was a little rough for, uh, for the four and a half days it lasted, and uh, you know, everything's... <laughs> you know, we're, we're kind of rebuilding now, but it's uh it was, it was a little dicey for a while there.
1: Well, uh, it's given you an opportunity to sit down and write more.
2: I, I sure. assume anyway. I mean, you've, you've, <laughs> sure. you've been, a, yeah. you've been
1: a very busy boy lately. You've written 12 books by, by my count, right? A few, you got sequels and you got three different series. You got some standalones. Yep. So we're talking, we're talking about indie publishing today. I mean, does indie publishing allow you to be sort of, more nimble. You can go from one series to another. You can throw in a standalone. You're, you're not beholden to anyone or anything, but your own imagination, right?
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's one of the real benefits of ending publishing is you can try other things. I mean, yeah, it, it behooves you to write to commercial genres without question. Whereas, you know, a, a large publisher or even agents are what may steer you in a direction of things are selling, which they probably should. Um, but if you want to do try an offshoot of something that's kind of out of your normal comfort zone. Cause I, I look at, the, I write thrillers, which is pretty broad. It could be, yeah. you know, I've written pulpy crime thrillers. I've written psychological thriller. Uh, the latest uh, series is a near future techno thrillers. So it's, you can go across genres, which some writers do successfully and some don't, but it's uh it, it does give you a lot more flexibility. And I actually have, have conversations with, you know, quote traditionally published authors that, Kind of branch out in the self self- publishing for that very reason, yeah, well,
1: the latest that you mentioned uh, called then the dark it's book two in the Marcus Murphy series uh you know these yeah. are yeah it's it's a little bit different it got almost a slightly sci-fi ish uh,
2: angle is that something that's always been an interest for you yeah it's it's an opportunity to stay within my lane of thrillers and still do a little sci-fi thing um you've seen other authors do this it takes place about 8 years in the future so you don't have to worry about, you know, oh is there flying cars you can still keep it kind of grounded <laughs> in a in a reality but take some swings at what may be happening with AI slightly ahead of where we are now so you don't have to build an entire world like the Star Wars universe but you can still keep it kind of what's uh, what's going on so it, it it opens things up and it makes it a little more a uh, little more fun a little more interesting but yeah there's some some new headaches too <laughs>
1: You write about mostly folks with some really bad luck. I mean, I, I came sure. to know you through through the Remo Cobb books and and, and getting ugly yeah. as some of your, your first stuff, and I I mean immediately I thought, okay, this Mike is my kind of misanthrope. I, I know we're going to get along, right, right. <laughs> and then you found out the exact opposite. Oh, you're just a ray of sunshine. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, do you think uh, even if you you write about these different characters in these different series. Do you think you have a a type of character that is your type of person to write about?
2: Yeah. I mean, it's when you write thrillers or anything, you know, something, something bad has to happen to somebody, right? That's kind of the the catalyst (laughs) for, for, for all of this stuff. So whether it's a psychological thriller and it's the ordinary, man or woman and something happens and they got their life changes dramatically or whether it's somebody like Remo who's a complete mess and just kind of manufactures bad things for himself sometimes. There has to be some kind of semi-horrific or just flat-out horrific event that happens to him. But the typical characters that I like, because I like writing dialogue a lot, so I try to keep mm-hmm. them... You find with thrillers, if you're going to make the put the funny in there, it has to happen with dialogue. So I usually have either it's the villain or the main guy. They, somebody has to be a wise ass to a certain degree, and that's that's <laughs> how I how I get the funny in there. But yeah, by and large, that's uh, it's bad things happening to good people or worse things happening to bad people are typically the uh, <laughs> the characters I go for.
1: <laughs> yes. Well, it takes a wise ass to write a wise ass. I always say. Well, yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> So, you know, you did start with the uh, small presses, uh, you know, the, the, the very tiny indie presses, and then you switched yeah. to self-publishing for these last few. I
2: mean, do you prefer being your own publisher? I do and I don't. I mean, there's pros and cons to both of it. I mean, I think the dream, and you're seeing this a lot more, is, you know, the hybrid author that has a publishing deal for whether it's a series or standalone books, and then they'll go off and write their other things on the indie side in my opinion that would kind of be the dream if i could do one through a larger publisher and then write my own whatever on the side yeah. that would be it because there's a lot to take on people ask all the time about the indie thing there's it's not just writing the book and putting it out there you have to be willing to learn a lot about marketing a lot about working with cover designers and cover designers and editors and and you know amazon ads and facebook ads and all this other stuff and if you're you don't want to deal with that stuff then you should stay out of it because there's there's no way to separate it yeah, I, I enjoy that to a certain extent because it you know allows you to work both sides of your brain but if, if that's just something that you know a writer just doesn't want to do then don't do it
1: yeah that's you've described me to a T there because I think that that other side of my brain has atrophied since I left school or something <laughs> I,
2: just, I just I feel like I'm so terrible at it because it is it's, it's a hell of a lot of work to yeah it's it's not just the the learning curve it's it's a time suck too like you know it's a yeah. lot of authors like myself we got other things going on you know
1: well i mean the kinds of books that you write that that we write frankly I man i've always I've, I've heard from other people and i've always felt you and i have very similar styles and, and sensibilities yeah I, and and i've been told by agents by people in the industry that the kind of things that we're doing are we're in a down cycle in terms of big publishing. So we're, sure. it's a little bit out of favor. And I've, I've I had an agent tell me that, he, that they didn't think Elmore Leonard could get published today. You know, it's just, it's just in the cycles of ups and downs. Yeah. But do you think that the, the, the kind of books you're writing, you know, you, you just need to make that extra effort to drill down, to find the audience that is still there. That just right. maybe isn't being served by big publishing.
2: Yeah. And you find that a lot with, with Indies, you are able to kind of get down, into you know the micro level of readers because if you go into amazon you look at the genres and you know it gets all the way down to shapeshifter paranormal romance which is (laughs) you know but there's an audience for that so you know it exists because there's people that like to to read those things and it's in publishers there's a lot of mouths to feed so it, it behooves them to find the biggest target available and if you're indie and there's a small pocket of readers that like this particular thing and you can find them you can You know you could sell books you're not going to sell 20 million of them but yeah there there are a lot of different readers you just have to find them so if you're if you want to write dark pulpy crime stuff elmore leonard style or 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 beyond that there's readers out there that like them i i have a a bunch of them on a mailing list you know there's people that do like it but it's a much smaller audience so other than the one psychological thriller and i plan on doing more of them was hands down the best-selling book i've had to date without question because it is it appeals to a broader audience and that's kind of the trade off you have to look at it if what you love to do is that net niche smaller thing fantastic but you're going to have to work harder to find that audience because they are out there well as
1: long as you're selling enough to keep the heat on down there
2: (laughs) when it's available yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) excellent excellent well, uh, Mike, thanks, thanks for uh, coming and sharing your thoughts, and uh, I've, I, I, I do think it's an apt thing. If, if anyone likes my books, I think you're going to like Mike's, and uh, I think you probably have a bigger
2: audience than I do. So if you like Mike's books, uh, uh, try mine. You know, who knows? <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you. It's good, good to see you. It seems like it's been a long time, Mr. Bietner.
3: Hello, writers and readers. This is Gabriel Valjean, author of Symphony Road, a Shane Cleary mystery set in 70s Boston. Disgraced cop, now PI, Shane lands a trifecta, arson, a missing person file, a cold case. Two of his clients whom he shouldn't trust, he does, and the third whom he should, he can't. The Shane Cleary series can be found with level best books on Amazon or order from your local indie store. If you want to venture further back in time to Hollywood and the Red Scare of the McCarthy era, have a look at my Agatha and Anthony-nominated naming game. It's a murdered screenwriter, gangsters, and Hoover's FBI against the early CIA. It's paranoia time, where everyone plays the naming game. Available from Winter Goose Publishing, Amazon, or your favorite indie bookstore.
4: Hi, my name is Sandra Wells, and I'm the author of the New Hampshire crime series books. It's a four book series that take place in New Hampshire. Uh, Detective Kelly G and Detective Carver are partnered up to try to solve the cases without digging their own graves. The first book is just like that. The second is Nothing Else Matters. The third is Fatal Predictions, and Before Dawn just recently came out. In Fatal Prediction. Our detectives uh, have to stop a man who just got out of prison and goes after his ex-wife and kidnaps his two young children. He takes them to the mountains in New Hampshire and leaves them in a secluded cabin in the middle of a blizzard. psychic uh, uh, helps the detectives find them. But in the meantime, there are, are a doctor and a nurse in the hospital who are uh, taking women that come in off the street and have their babies. They're killing the women and selling the babies into adoption. So they have to be stopped also. It's a very interesting book. They all are. People really like them. I write all my books on a cell phone. I have Word downloaded on my phone, and I have it everywhere with me that I go. So it's uh, really good. Anytime that I want to write, I just uh, open the cell phone up and start. My books can be found on Breaking Rules Publishing website. I hope that you buy my books, and I hope you enjoy reading them. Thank you for your time. You have a good day.
1: Well, next up on the Indie Author Spotlight, I welcome Delia Pitts and Jonathan Brown. Welcome to you both. Nice to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Hello. Thank you for having me.
1: You both write series. Delia, you've got the Ross Agency books. And uh, Jonathan, you've got the the Lou Crasher series, uh, among others. When we all start writing, I think we sort of see ourselves fitting into a spot on the bookshelf, you know, next to our heroes or next to sort of other like-minded writers. So I want to know from you guys, like, who are you sort of striving to be on the bookshelf of life next to Delia? Or do you have uh, some heroes that you're trying to, to join their company?
0: Well, I, it always makes me feel awkward to say these things, but certainly Walter Mosley is a big influence uh, for me. I enjoy all kinds of Raymond Chandler. I'm reading uh, right now some Dashiell Hammett uh, that I particularly enjoy. I've loved, for years, I've loved all of the traditional British novelists, although that's not specifically the way I write, but uh, P.D. James, uh, Marjorie Allingham, of course, Agatha Christie. These are all ones that influenced me as I was uh, growing up and a baby writer.
1: Yeah, it's always interesting to get inspired by authors that we don't necessarily emulate, but you still can can take little things from them that sort of burrow into your brain even subconsciously, right?
0: That's right, in fact, I would add to that someone who's not really a mystery writer, but Langston Hughes, very Mm -hmm. important to me in terms of bringing non-writing elements like jazz, into the uh, presentation of language. And so I I, add Toni Morrison as well. Zora Neale Hurston is a third person I would add who I wouldn't call a a mystery writer in a classic sense, but certainly influenced my thinking about how one uses language and how one presents culture and particularly African-American culture.
1: Well, OK, you mentioned jazz, so I got to turn it over to Jonathan, uh, an accomplished drummer in many styles, including a, a, a swinging jazz player. I've seen you uh, play a lot of a lot of great little jazz riffs there. I mean, do you think are you able to draw any influence from your music background, particularly like in, in rhythms? I mean, I'm mean, i a big fan. Like, as a musician myself, I'm a big fan of, of the rhythm of the page and, and how that plays. Do you think that that you're yeah.
5: able to translate that into your writing? Absolutely, and uh, what I end up doing is reading my stuff out loud, and oh. it has to, it has to have a beat, has to has to flow. Now I could never rap or do uh, spoken word or anything like that, but it, yeah, it absolutely has to have a flow. And I think ev- every chapter has, to me, sort of uh, starts at the beginning of a song. There's a bridge, and then you know the chorus. I look at a lot of writing as music so many different styles of writing and
1: styles of music i mean like you say you just described sort of a, a classic kind of pop song structure mm-hmm. but yeah, yeah if you want to switch it up can you think in terms of like okay i want this to be a little more like jazz a little more free form a little more improv
5: for sure like often with a twist or if a character does something like where i, I imagine the reader is going to go oh why did they do that that to me is that hard bop out there jazz that even I don't understand. <laughs> and sometimes yes. your, your writing doesn't always have to make sense to you. It, it does at the end, but sometimes like, I don't know where I'm going here. Well, just keep going. It just keeps soloing. Just keep playing. Does that make any sense?
1: Oh, that totally does. Yes. <laughs> Adelia, are you the kind of writer? Are you an outliner? Do you Do you wing it?
0: I have become more of an outliner as I've gone along. My tendency is very much to be a pantser, as uh, they like to say. I have an idea or many ideas. I scribble them down sometimes in the middle of the night. Uh, I keep a pad not quite at my bed. It forces me to get up and actually move over to the mirror where the pad is. And then I write down all these crazy ideas. And often they're, they're not so bad. Sometimes they're just words. I was struck by uh, what Jonathan said about the musicality of of the page or the chapter, but I also think about the musicality of each word. And I often find myself saying Mm -hmm. a sentence or even a word out loud to make sure that it fits right in my mouth and then that it fits right in the mouth of the character that I'm hoping to uh, present.
1: Well, and Delia, with your books, you went a little bit, the opposite of Jonathan, who's sort of writing what he knows. I mean, I I didn't see anything in your past that would lead me to believe that you can draw on your own experience to write an investigator in Harlem. I mean, there's nothing in your bio that makes that an obvious choice, is there?
0: Uh, No, I'm not a man, (laughs) first of all. Uh, I'm older than uh, my main character is. Uh, My experiences have been different, although I grew up in center city Chicago, while certainly Chicago is not the same as New York and not the same as Harlem, there are, I feel, important overlaps for any urban uh, environment and urban condition, particularly growing up in a black community uh, that is varied. And what I, one thing I wanted to present in choosing Harlem was to look at uh, issues of uh, so-called urban renewal or rehabilitation or some of the other negative terms that are often applied to these changes. And we certainly experienced that in Chicago as I was growing up and it's still going on. And I saw that as a challenging setting for presenting my black detective. I wanted him to be someone who actually didn't fit in to many of the classic tropes of the genre, but who challenged many of them, whose notions about um, strength, and masculinity weren't based in having a fast car or actually having any car he has no car who weren't uh, in, involved in owning a gun he doesn't own a gun and in fact he says he doesn't believe in using a gun because a gun's an invitation to violence and he doesn't mm-hmm. choose to dance in that party i chose however to make him a male because as i mentioned before the authors that most influenced me wrote in a genre which focused on the male point of view. And I wanted to keep that part of the tradition, but tease it, twist it, and push it in a different direction. Another thing that I changed a lot was that he's not the boss. He's not the boss in his agency. He's, if anything, number three on that totem pole. And again, striking, I hope, at some of the classic (laughs) images of masculinity in a way that makes it fun and interesting.
1: Excellent. I want to know, we're talking about small and indie presses uh, on this episode. So, you know, being a small press or an an indie author, it definitely means you have to hustle a lot more to get your name out there. Do you enjoy the hustle side of it a little bit or is it just pure torture?
5: I love the hustle side as far as um, I always do book launches. I actually tell, I don't just read and say, and then sign. I like to tell a story. I like to entertain. That must be my, uh, Music background as well. I like the live, the meeting people, and all that stuff. As far as mastering and understanding social media, (laughs) which is really important, um, that's not my thing. So uh, I'm trying to figure that out. But so I I, I end up putting up drum solos and videos and and characters and kind of goofing off, and uh, hasn't really translated to book sales. But (laughs) Eh, what are you going to (laughs) do? Hey, listen,
1: if, if you find the secret sauce that does translate to book sales, you can yeah. bottle it and you make more money off that than you ever would on books. There
5: you, there you go. Exactly.
1: <laughs> Sell the secret to other authors because we're all just sitting here waiting for someone to <laughs> give us the knowledge.
6: Right,
1: right. <laughs> That's right. Delia, you've uh, you've gone in on uh, the smart thing to do, which is write a series and mm-hmm. have a long running character that that readers can hook into and then stick with you for book after book after book. And I think that's really the the way to do it in, in indie publishing is to give readers something to to follow and and get those fans
0: for life is, I mean, that's the hope anyway, right? It certainly is. Of course, when I started out, I didn't do that because I was thinking to garner more readers. I did it because it's what interested me. How would a character shift and evolve over time? And I I did have in the way back of my mind, the idea of a longer character arc attached to shorter, discrete murder mystery stories that would have a beginning, middle and end for each book. But sure, I agree with you that, and I do see it. I, I'm not a business person. I don't do good at tracking uh, sales, but I do see that when I have a new book come out, I see some additional or new interest in the earlier books. And so I think you're right that one of the keys to keep going, to keep writing. And uh, a series helps uh, in that I don't have to constantly be thinking up new ideas, at least for the main characters.
1: <laughs> right. Well, now, speaking of main characters, uh, I, I want to know, do you think you write characters that you would want to hang out with? Like Delia, is, is Rook someone that you would want to spend time with or someone you want to steer clear from?
0: No, I would definitely want to spend time with him. He's smart, but unschooled. He's not bookish. Uh, I'm very bookish, but that's okay. We would we would complement each other, I hope, in that way. He's tough. He's funny. He's got a lot of experiences, as you pointed out, that I don't have, and uh, I have a lot of experiences he doesn't have. So I think we would uh, uh, mix it uh, up pretty well. So yes, mm. I, I find all the characters in my books even the bad guys are people that i i could imagine wanting to spend time with i i do spend time with them obviously yeah. in the course of a year plus two plus three plus years of writing them
1: that's true that's true and jonathan uh, w- would you and lou crasher really uh, throw down if you guys got in the same room on the kits together
5: well i think that's what we'd have to do is um i would be in a band with lou which means we'd have two drummers so maybe a genesis tribute band or something <laughs> but then um I wouldn't spend a lot of time with him because he gets uh, beaten up a lot. I'm not into that. He gets, <laughs> he sticks his nose into other people's business. I'm not into that. But so I take the, uh, let's say, the conservative side of, of myself, but Lou gets all of the crazy stuff. I mean, his name is Crasher. He just crashes, you know? So yeah, I'd have a beer with him, be in a band with him, and then after rehearsal, I'll say, okay, I'll see you later, Lou. I'm going home to my wife. <laughs> you can go solve crimes or whatever it is you do.
1: <laughs> All right, smart choice, I think, yes.
5: <laughs>
1: Excellent, well, uh, I thank you both for for joining me today and uh, we look forward to to the next adventures for these characters uh, or whoever else you come up with next. Oh, let's keep going,
5: I got another hour, let's keep going. <laughs> That's right, <laughs> ask more. Good meeting you, Delia. Play, I, I'm going to read all your stuff.
0: Thank you. I started on, in on one of the Crasher books, so I'm looking Ooh. forward to keeping <laughs> on with him.
5: <laughs> uh, thank you. Hey, Eric, thank you so much. This was awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. No. Thank this, you, Eric. This
1: is what Writer Types does is we, we sell books one at a time to other authors. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah.
7: This is Eric Desenhall. I am the author of a new novel called False Light. Uh, false Light is a term from defamation law that basically means that you didn't defame someone directly, but you did something to their reputation that represented them in a way that hurt them. In False Light, there is a seasoned reporter as a main character. His name is Sanford Fuse. Teddy, he's known as Fuse since junior high. He's old school in every way. He hates technology, he doesn't like millennials, and he doesn't like gotcha journalism. When his childhood friend approaches him for advice after the man's daughter says she was sexually assaulted by her boss, a big media star, Fuse gives his buddy... The only options that he feels are available. Report the incident to the police and risk a huge he-said-she-said smear campaign against the young woman or plan something even better, revenge. As a journalist, Fuse has a colorful background investigating criminals, politicians, gangsters, drug lords, and he knows plenty of shady sources, so he's the perfect person to enact a complex plan to bring down the popular media mogul in the court of public opinion and make him pay. In my day job, I run a crisis management firm, I deal with scandals, I deal with character assassination, and I thought it would be an interesting thing in the age of what we call cancel culture to get into a forensic deconstruction of how you defame and smear somebody in the court of public opinion using the old media and using the new media. I've written 11 books. Uh, Most of them are novels. Some of them deal with scandal and character assassination. And my favorite part of writing this book is getting to do something I don't get to do in real life, which is use these skills to exact revenge.
8: This is Mark Atley, the author of The Olympian, and the forthcoming A Bright Young Man with Close to the Bone Publishing, out in 2022. A Bright Young Man is about a murder, an unsolved murder, here in Oklahoma, and purposely has the charm and feel of an Elmore Leonard novel. A Bright Young Man is about the past and how it connects us all. 30 years ago, Ezekiel Z. Corman killed his best friend, and Sheriff Art Lee has hounded him ever since but neither man expected or understood how the unsolved murder of J.B. Tenniel would reverberate through time, touching their lives and others that weren't present. Now, 30 years later, movie producer River Rhodes has learned the truth about her father, Zeke, and an act of rebellion against her mother has decided to put her family's story on the silver screen. Except the past brings both good and bad home, and with it comes Art's failed protege, Charlie, who is a B-rate stuntman who left Art and Pahuska behind to pursue his unrealized dreams. Art's granddaughter, who cares for him in his twilight years, but once more out of the steady sameness of Art's world, and the crime, the puppet master Herschel Larrabee and his boys, the bookie Ernesto dispatched to ensure Charlie pays off his debts, and the menacing Angelo who handles problems. When everyone comes home to act out the events of the past, the events of today unravel, revealing the truth, challenging what's been accepted, And everybody asks themselves, do and can people really change? Something that's unique about myself and my books is that I try to look at the world in different ways. And I think that's due to the dyslexia that I was diagnosed with as a child and did not learn how to read until the third grade. But through hard work and the belief of others, not only did I learn how to read, or at least I hope I did, I have challenged myself to write novels that look at the world in different ways and from different points of view. So thank you, uh, Eric Beatner and Writer Types for allowing me a minute to say hello and talk with you.
1: Oh, thanks, Mark. You know, there are so many great indie authors out there and it's really fun to get to talk with some of them today. So let's talk with two more. Welcome to Murphy Morrison, author of Ashes, Ashes, and Greg Hickey, author of Parabellum, his latest. Uh, welcome to you guys both.
9: Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having us.
1: Now, I brought you you two together because your books are both set in Chicago. You both live in Chicago. So can we assume that uh, both of your books probably feature a lot of like uh, guys eating sausages or uh, playing blues guitar, that kind of thing? <laughs>
9: I wish. Mine is not quite, but yeah, maybe I should put um, some Chicago-style hot dogs in the next one.
1: Yeah. Hot dogs with way too much stuff on them, I'll be honest.
9: Exactly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Greg, uh, I, I don't remember reading any about any deep dish pizza in Parabellum. I don't...
6: No, there's a lot of local Chicago uh, scenery and uh, kind of experiences, but not as much deep dish pizza or hot dogs as you might have
1: been expecting. <laughs> All right, well, first off, let's, let's talk a little bit about your, uh, your books. Uh, Murphy, Ashes, Ashes is about uh, a Chicago firefighter, a detective, a doctor. You've, you have a little bit of everything and everyone in there.
9: I do, yes. and it, It's funny, um, since releasing it, I've heard it, it, it's been reminding people of Chicago Fire, Chicago PD, and Chicago Med, which is a trio <laughs> I did not initially plan when I set out to write it, so I'm, I'm happy with the dynamic that it's created there.
1: Look at that. You're, you're TV ready. So they should just come knocking on your door, right?
9: <laughs> that would be the dream. That would be the dream. Well, we'll see what happens there. We do have some exciting releases coming in the next month or so on my um, social media channels. So, all good things, and, and we'll see what happens next.
1: Excellent. And, Greg, uh, your latest novel, Parabellum, is about a shooting on a Chicago beach uh, and the four possible shooters, but you let the reader kind of do a lot of work in this book, make a lot of assumptions, try to figure it out before the end. I mean, do you think readers are are really looking for that level of engagement that they want to be trying to puzzle it out and trying to maybe keep one step ahead of the author as they read?
6: Uh, I think some readers certainly are. Um, And it's not necessarily, wasn't, wasn't necessarily my intention to sort of play the cat and mouse game with the reader, but just to give the reader... These portraits of four people who are capable of committing violence and kind of give the reader a chance to get inside their heads and see what events and circumstances in their lives drive them down this path. Um, And yes, there is sort of a who done it, why done it aspect to the book, but I think it's really just a chance for the reader to get inside each of these characters' heads.
1: And a chance to sort of look a little sideways at everyone you see on the street and wonder what's what's going on inside their head. What's their backstory? Are they are they going to snap one day?
6: Yeah, definitely. And I think it also gives the reader a chance to kind of turn the mirror on themselves and sort of look at themselves and see, you know, is there anything about each of these people in in my personality? You know, um, are there instances where I'm not as empathetic towards others as I wish I could be?
1: Now, Murphy, you grew up in the Twin Cities in Minnesota, but you write about your adopted city uh, in Chicago. I mean, why was uh, Chicago the right place to, to set this story?
9: Yeah, so I, I grew up in Minnesota. Like you said, I actually went to college in Omaha, and now I am in Chicago. So the Midwest just kind of has my heart. And I think Chicago is is such a busy city. There's so much going on. And and every part of Chicago has something different to offer. So inspiration is just everywhere, you know, with every alley you pass and every train stop and, and just really right when you step outside of your door, it almost writes itself.
1: Oh, if they would only write themselves, oh, that would make it so much easier. <laughs>
9: <laughs> Very true.
1: Uh, how about you, Greg? I mean, you know, something like Parabellum, I, I think it definitely benefits from being in such a tight urban environment like that, where, like you say, you know, you, you do have to sort of pass thousands of people, well, we used to pass thousands of people every day on the street. <laughs> and, uh, and, and you never know what everyone, what baggage everyone's carrying, right?
6: Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, like Murphy said, Chicago is a, a city of neighborhoods. And so as you move around the city, there's different experiences, different sights and sounds and smells. And one of the things when I was writing the book is that, you know, I would, you know, take bus trips around the city and just kind of get on and off and get the feel of the different streets where I was and get the feel of the different neighborhoods and try to build that that feeling and that um, atmosphere into the story.
1: All right. Well, we're talking about indie publishing today. So let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, what have been the struggles of indie publishing versus the rewards? Because the rewards, you know, you have a lot of freedom. You can be kind of more nimble than being just a Cog in the Machine of uh, Big Five Publishing. Uh, Murphy, I mean, have you seen the advantages of, uh, of indie publishing with Ashes Ashes?
9: I have. So I signed Ashes Ashes with Hadley House Publishing, uh, and they are a Minnesota-based publishing house. It's founded by three incredible women, two of which um, who are best-selling authors themselves. And what I was really looking for with Ashes Ashes was to just learn as much as I could about the publishing process everything from you know editing to marketing the book and I think what's amazing in working with Indies is that I've had a chance to have my hand in all of those phases of the process while also learning from the woman who founded Hadley house and just and learning so much there and I think the biggest challenge I've experienced is um, just getting out there and marketing the book especially I think with our current environment and the remote working environment, but I feel like that's probably been a challenge for both traditional authors and indie authors just throughout the the writing world.
1: For sure, yeah. I'm intrigued to see how this virtual book tour world will continue after you know, we're we're all free to to move about because something like this, I mean, I, I can talk to both you guys in Chicago, I'm in Los Angeles, it's, uh, you know, it's cheaper than you guys getting on a flight. I mean, Greg, you know, you, you, chances are you weren't planning on uh, flying to LA to, to do a book appearance. So that I think this new sort of virtual book promotion world could even the playing field a little bit for people who don't have the marketing budget, you know, authors like us who don't have thousands to spend on a book tour, right?
6: Yeah, definitely. I mean, there's you know certain disadvantages to having to do everything via computers. You know, we miss that face-to-face interaction, but it does allow us to connect with people across the country or across the globe without having to leave our homes.
1: Yeah, well, I think uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see how book events uh, return to the to the real world, and if all of a sudden people are going to realize what they missed and book events are going to take a big spike in attendance? Or if people are going to say, oh, actually, I like it better when I'm just sitting in my pajamas and I can have you know, a, a panel with 10 authors come to me in my living room.
6: I think I think there's going to be a little of both. I think people are probably desperate for not only just human contact, but to get out and get back to some of the things they love, whether it's going to book events or going to concerts or sporting events. I think people really miss that. And miss you know, being in a, a place with a bunch of like-minded people or or fans of the same thing that you you enjoy getting to share that intimate experience.
1: Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, Murphy, you said uh, you got some news coming. Does that mean uh, more books on the way?
9: Uh, Yes. So more books on the way. I have some news next month related to Ashes, Ashes, but I am currently working on my next book, which is another crime fiction thriller set in Chicago. Um, It's not a direct sequel to Ashes, Ashes, but it's a parallel world, so some of the characters will make an appearance, which I'm I'm excited about the synergies there.
1: And then, Greg, I mean, this uh, Parabellum is a little bit different from your other novels. You, you seem to, to do a little bit of genre hopping, uh, as you write, sort of following the muse wherever it goes. Is uh, What's coming next? Are you going to stick with uh, more of a crime, a thriller kind of thing?
6: No, I think it's going to be more genre hopping for me. Um, the plan right now is to write a story about man with a very serious and very rare form of cancer um, who's basically confined to a hospital bed in the ICU while he gets chemotherapy and, is, um, and as he's kind of drifting in and out of consciousness, he has these very vivid dreams and these dreams begin to impact the way his body responds to the, the cancer treatment.
1: So, okay, there you have it. A small sampling of authors out there who don't have the full weight of a huge publisher's publicity department behind them, but are well worth you taking the time to check them out. And there are a hundred more out there if you look around at some of the great small presses doing crime fiction. Tons of great authors, tons of great books. And of course, if you're out there checking them out, maybe you'll come across my books. I'm always easy to find at ericbeatner.com back episodes of the show are at WriterTypespodcast.com, and you can find the show on twitter at writertypes. so do yourself a favor go seek out an author who publishes small or self-publishes give them a chance i really think you'll be pleasantly surprised and then join me next time when i have three more great authors for you and subscribe so you get each episode delivered right to you as soon as it's released thanks for listening